Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Lily Kate Show. I'm so glad you're all here today. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope you got some really awesome Black Friday deals. We're just going to go right into the guest section of this episode because you probably know what's already been happening in the news. And this is a week for Thanksgiving. So let's not focus on the news. Let's just continue focusing on why feminism's the worst thing that has ever happened to women. So I hope you enjoy. Nicole, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. It's good to have you here. And we've been trying to nail this episode down for like forever. And um, I absolutely love your account. What would you say your title? Are you founder? Are you CEO? Or are you just main social media creator for the feminist recovery? I'm co-founder. I was CEO for a while, but at this point, my title is just co-founder and host. Beautiful. And so from your perspective, obviously, you and I together are fighting this feminist narrative, this radical feminist narrative over the last hundred and kind of 60 ish years. And so from your perspective, what is feminism? I, I would still say the idea of feminism is that men and women are treated equally. Maybe not. Maybe that doesn't mean we're the same in every way, but we're treated equally. But then I, I think I take a different line than most people would take is I, I just look at people who are left-wing feminism. Um, I would call them radical feminists, right? even if they're the majority. And I just say that's not feminism. So I, I actually really embrace the term feminism or feminist, which I know is you know different than a lot of people do, but I'm just a little bit more stubborn. I, I look at feminism and I go, no, no, my party and like, you know, the people that I identify with started that and I really don't appreciate it being hijacked. So I intend to take the term back. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Feminism, the definition, at least, has gone through about five changes ever since the 1840s. And really, like the definition that most people agree on is definition of like what we call the first wave of feminism in America, which obviously is social, political and economic equality between the sexes. Like, I don't know a person except like one who probably lives out in the countryside and still doesn't understand that, like, you know, we have amendments letting everyone vote. Like, I don't know anyone who disagrees with that. And so. Now we have the definition of radical feminism, though, which is which is essentially Marxism having been applied to feminism. So, you know, power structure, power struggle, intersectionality is all kind of like and then radical gender ideology is an outgrowth of that. And so it's kind of progressed into this just really toxic ideology. And so I think a safe answer is I'm a first wave feminist because I believe in equality between the sexes, but nothing more than that, because that creates a supremacy complex that creates radical gender ideology and all the crap that we're seeing today. Would you agree with that? I would agree with the ideology. I don't use the term first wave because like I said, I'm more, I'm just focused on the present. And I think people, they reach back in their minds and so much of history has been rewritten, quote unquote, that they, they apply their, their own terms to that, what they think first wave means. And most of the time, if they're on the left, if they've been taught something by the left, their assumption of what first wave means is wrong. In, in my experience and all the hundreds and thousands of girls I have spoken to, they, they think it means something different if their information came from a left-wing anything mm. and so I just bring people back like no I'm a, I'm a feminist um I'm not a radical feminist I'm not a woke feminist and normally the next question people have is what what does that mean because my slogan at the feminist recovery program is women's issues from a non-woke perspective and the first thing people ask is well what is a non-woke perspective? Now, if you're kind of on the right, you know exactly what that means. Uh -huh. um, that, that hits home to you. But then we can start having conversations about issues. Because if I frame it as 
first wave, et cetera, we don't have conversations about issues. We have conversations about history, but they've already made their minds up. But when people start, I can get people start asking questions, then they lead me right towards what they're really concerned about. Mm. Beautiful. And I think that's a good way to put it, too, because you're like, hey, we're talking about basically the consequences of the radicalization of this idea or the wokeness of this idea. And so kind of leading out of that, can you give me your top three reasons, just really short bullet points about why you shouldn't be a radical or woke feminist? There are so many. The the three I typically give, I I normally sit down when there's a a specific girl one-on-one and ask them about their lives and the and the themes that I seem to that pop up the most are you know what they don't really have any satisfaction in their like sex life and because they don't have these relationships that are lasting they want and they don't understand how to have the relationships that they want maybe like why it's not working why the sexual revolution isn't empowering but I think that's number one Mm. Number two is the idea of gender ideology, which really is a heart of who am I? Like, what was I made to be? And if you if you think that that's transitory, you're you're going to be lost. There's no way around it. And I'd say the last one is a little bit less about individual people's happiness. But I think there's this huge wave of derogatory media towards women. There, there's porn. There's our music that mm-hmm. just tears women down. It makes women about their bodies, which is so, so interesting because the left, you know, points out that gender ideology is making it all about women's bodies. That's not exactly true. When everything in our media tells women that their value lies in their body and how it looks, like we play this game on my page called Melodic, <laughs> Melodic Misogyny Monday and we just put up lyrics and have people like vote. Is this derogatory? Like, are these... Mm. Mis- are these lyrics misogynistic? Because we just take the popular songs. And when I think people, they sing along, they don't like really realize what they're singing along to. But when you actually type out in writing, here's what the lyrics are that you're singing along with. Is, is it kind of sick or is it not? People mm. look at it and they're like, oh. And I think that's one of the most powerful things we have is people will write me all the time. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't realize how many of the songs in our top 10 were saying this about women's bodies. I think there's completely attack on women's bodies how they're portrayed and there's the derogatory nature towards women. That's so good. It's almost as if re- women are reobjectifying themselves in the name of, you know, riches or or relationships. They're almost using their bodies as something that they can kind of score points with and that as we know does not lead to fulfillment, that does not lead to substantial lasting relationships. All that leads to is hookup culture and a futile view of relationships and then, you know, out of that of course, can have so many different effects, aka not a good marriage, not a strong family life, wasting your youth or your body on things that are completely fleeting. And so I think you're definitely right about that. You know, the left always says, oh, we're for women and a woman woman is not just her body. But you look at Cardi B lyrics and you're like, really? Because that's all she's singing about. And so you know, I know you don't like going into the history of feminism as much, but if you had to pinpoint like maybe one place where feminism kind of started to go wrong and started to really be based on a lot of contradictions or turned out to be not as pro-woman as we thought, where would you think that is? And then how does that affect us today? Well, I think you exactly hit it on the head with the Cardi B example. There was in the 60s, 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 70s, second wave movement, right? There was, 
I think, justifiable criticism that, hey, there's a double standard between men and women, especially when it comes to sexual relationships. And it has been criticized, I think rightly so, because it is wrong to have a double standard, to hold women to the standard of morality and not to men. But you would hope that in that criticism, we started to hold men as accountable for what the standard we held women to. Instead, we said, you know, there, there's not really a standard for either, which has led to so much suffering mm. and hurt, not only women, but I think on men's part as well, they don't get talked about as much. And even Cardi B said in that song, you know, it wasn't about, I feel empowering when I did this. She said, I know that men write lyrics like this. Mm. And if a man wrote a lyric right, like this, no one would bat an eye. So I'm going to write a lyric right th like this about women. And so it's exactly the same thing that we saw at the beginning of Second Wave, which is really, really what ended and fractured Second Wave feminism was we had a whole discussion on like, oh, should we pr be pro-sex work? Should we be pro-sexual revolution? And there's a lot of nuance to what happened there. But those are the basic ideas that splintered them because people couldn't get on board with this discussion. And I think really, I don't think that argument has ended today in any way. I think right. that we've really just can perpetuated and continued on the problem of, you know what, what, this is how we're viewing women's bodies. And it, it will be to their benefit to view them like, like we did men in the 60s, because that's a better standard. The better standard is to have no standard, which I think is it's highly detrimental. Well, and also we've seen it bleed over into pretty much every other area of society. I mean, so much of an adult life, if you're married, should revolve around sex, sexuality. And like, that's a very powerful thing, as we both know. And so if you drop standards there for men and for women and you say, you know what, everyone relates to it in the same way and everyone should be at liberty to have this um, right. Really what the sexual revolution did was make sexual pleasure the most important right that anyone has. And I think that's very toxic as well. But a lot of our adult lives focus around this idea of complementary sex and sexuality. And so, yeah, reframing the whole discussion around the idea of, okay, no, we're only going to talk about sex in the context of who's liberated and who's not drops all of the standards. And we're seeing that bleed over into many other areas in our culture today because no one has any standards anymore. We don't have standards not only for our bodies. We don't have standards for our politicians. We don't have standards for our own productivity. We don't have standards for our own lives anymore. And so what, in your opinion, has been, well, I guess we're kind of just going to answer the same question, but a little bit different than, okay, what is the sexual nature of feminism? But what, in your opinion, aside from this, has been the most dire effect of radical feminism on women today? Mm, I think the disintegration of the family. Mm. It's you're right that it's gonna answer the question a little bit the same way, but it's because these things are all interconnected. What happens sure. with your sex life does affect the family. We have this idea in our culture that you know you can separate children from sex and you can separate relationships from sex. It's not really true. If it was true that we could separate children from sex, then you know about half of our abortions wouldn't be because we're getting an abortion after we use protection. Yeah, it, it's just such a lie that we can separate it. And I think women know they know emotionally that they're not going to compartmentalize, you know, their yeah. sex life from the rest of their emotions. It's bleeding over. And we have so much more depression today. I don't think that's just because of the whole sexual revolution. But I do believe that it really, really does play a larger part.
mm-hmm. and all of this. And we've watched the disintegration of the family. We have more and more mothers who don't have fathers in the home. And of course, mm-hmm. not having a father in the home leads to higher poverty, like higher incarceration rate, lower grades, lower income level, more likely to participate in armed robberies mm-hmm. to speeding tickets to dropping out of high school to teen pregnancy i mean name it it is tied to father fatherlessness in this country and the idea that women they they can and they should do it alone and they can have sex wherever they want without the consequences well you know what you're you can't run from the consequences you can get an abortion which is a harrowing experience sure, by the yeah, way right right and People just write off like, oh, you know, they don't tell you that you're likely to have depression, that you're more likely to have breast cancer, you're more likely to have infertility lately, later in life when you get an abortion. But women feel that. And women feel the effects of what happens, even if they don't have an abortion. And, and many women choose not to, but they do have to live with the consequences. It's not possible to separate that. And sometimes women, you know, they have broken families through no fault of their own. Mm. But these ideologies put forth in this radical feminism just make just harm that family unit which is a a source of strength a source of preservation it's a place of safety for women a happy marriage is always a place of safety for women not just like their physical safety but emotionally etc and so to, to disintegrate that unit and pretend that it's not beneficial for women on a mass scale we're seeing massive effects of that is I think by far the most detrimental thing to women. It affects just their day-to-day lives and happiness in a way that I I don't even think we can fathom. But I think for me, that's definitely the most heartbreaking thing. And when I have women who slide into my inbox and tell me stories about their lives, I'm so, so saddened by some of the things that they were taught. And then now, you know, they're 35, which isn't really that old. No, right. But they're they're trying to find, you know, a guy who treats them well and they say, you know, I think all the good ones are gone. I don't think that's true, but how sad. How sad to feel yeah. that way. Or they tell me, you know, I had an abortion mm-hmm. at 22 and of course they you know, they punctured my uterus and now I've had five miscarriages and no one told me. Or, you know, I'm 32 and I have breast cancer and I found out later that it was, you know, I had three abortions earlier and no one told me that, that was a massive risk and they're all so heartbreaking and these women feel they feel duped and i think they're completely justified because they were sold a lie of consequence free you know you don't need a man to be happy and while there is some grain of truth and like not being dependent on someone else for your happiness there's nothing that will replace a a good solid relationship in your life there's nothing that's going to replace the traditional family unit in your life are having strong and good relationships with men, sadly. Right. So well said. I literally could not say it better myself, but you're right because this whole idea of just promiscuity, sexual revolution is completely born out of Betty Friedan's writings after the Second World War. She was basically pissed off that men and women were treated differently in society and and then related to things differently. And that's kind of her writings are what spurred on pretty much the early 1960s. And then, you know, the 1960s and 70s sexual revolution, it was all about 
disconnecting sex from consequences. That's why we had such a hard push on birth control. That's why we had such a hard push on abortion. And you're right. Women have to live with those scars today. I mean, you know, one in four women in, in apparently the United States have had abortions and they frequently have thoughts of nightmares and suicidal, um, tendencies. I've talked to women who have had abortions. They have, they have dreams about abortion tables and they have dreams about blood and babies. And it's just really, really traumatic and terrible that we're putting women through something that is so unique to us. But, you know, if, if you know, men and women are completely different, like, let's just start with that. We relate to things differently. Our brains are completely different. Men can compartmentalize much more effectively than women can. We think more emotionally, we think more relationally and socially, whereas men think more task oriented, goal oriented, and not that one is better than the other, because I don't really compare men and women. Uh, I don't think you can. I think that's comparing like a diamond ring to a Mercedes Benz. Like you just don't do that. Um, but it's so beautiful in the way that we're different. But I think you're also right is we don't even know the consequences of this fully yet. If a historian were to look at the effects of the sexual revolution, they would say, give me 50 more years into the American future to really be able to quantify the effects of the sexual revolution. Because, you know, how, how long ago was it? I mean, it was about 60 ish years ago. Like, we don't even know the full consequence. We haven't been removed far enough from the sexual revolution to fully see the consequences. And any historian would tell you that. So, you know, and there, there is obviously the unspoken factor here. Feminism primarily is about women and affects women and hurts women. But, you know, men are here, too. And men, I know it's unpopular to say, but men obviously have emotions. Men have say. So how do you think feminism has affected men deeply in the past few years? Feminism has robbed men of confidence hmm. in some ways, which... It's kind of funny. I feel like in working in a Wall Street environment, I would I would have definitely said there's so many men who are like way overconfident in what they were doing. And yet somehow the feminist movement knocked them down a few pegs, which I think was the goal for some of that movement. And not that like some of those people couldn't be afforded to knock down a few pegs, but there's also good men who I've seen too many times in my life in situations where, you know, they have an opinion. And they've been told to be silenced or they've been robbed of the confidence to voice their opinion. Let's say it's on. Yeah, let's say it's on abortion, right? I have seen multiple times in my life, especially when I worked with people more on the left side and in my account and what I was doing, tell men in the room, like, hey, no, you can't have an opinion on this one. And those men just, they just close their mouths. They don't know what to say. Mm. And I have said multiple times on my channel in those rooms, that's sexist. To tell someone that they can't have an opinion because of their sex is sexist. Yeah. Now, I understand that they might not have the same life perspective. And having someone who has a firsthand account and perspective is extremely important. It is important, I think, to hear from them. But you know what? If you just tell people who didn't have the same situation as you, you need to be silent and sit this one out. Not only is that ridiculous and it's sexist if you do it based on sex, but you're not going to change their mind that way. You're just mm. going to silence them. You will never get them to agree with your side. They're not going to like you any better for telling them to be quiet. And you have no opportunity to debunk any false ideas they might have because they're not even going to be open with you. Why would they mm. want to speak with you? It's completely ineffective as a tool, just telling people to be silent about their opinion does not change their mind, mm. which I think is so interesting that the leftist seems to 
<laughs> ignore, which is why I think there's so many, you know, voices that rise so quickly on the other side who say the true thing that they feel like no one can say. They say like, you know what, I don't think that men can be women. And then overnight they're seemingly a success on something because they said the quiet part. Mm. Um, they said the part that everyone thought, but they just became too scared to say out loud. So I really think the biggest effect is that it, it silences men. And I think the other effect is it, it turns a bunch of men off from women. As in they see like, oh, women are conniving or, or they'll do this or this. And I just, I don't want to be associated with that. And so we end up having less healthy relationships overall, which is also a highly detrimental effect for all the reasons we just listed. So really what I'm hearing is feminism has aimed because it's focused on domination of women and it's kind of developed because of the, you know, adaptation of intersectionality into pretty much all of our conversations. Feminism now emasculates men based off of intersectional um, titles rather. And so I think you're so right because it's just like it silences them. It says, okay, if I'm a guy, fine, I'm just not going to I don't want to get me too. If I pursue a woman, I also don't want to be told that I'm a worthless piece of crap. So I'm just going to kind of stick to myself and be a bachelor, a one man island. And of course, the sexual revolution, going back to this idea, if we have no standards for men and for women, well, men are that's going to have a really dire effect on them, too. If they can't have anything to fight for, if they can't pursue and fight for a woman, like figuratively be that knight in shining armor for her then he's not going to have anything worth fighting for. And that's going to make him weak. And so I think we're just seeing this epidemic of very weak men who have pretty much had every woman they've ever wanted um, casually, <laughs> of course, but also they have no substance in their brains to fall back on. They have no confidence, like you said, to stand up to women who are trying to be more tyrannical and dominate over them. But they're weak at the same time because they've never had to deny themselves anything or overcome any challenges to get to something they really want. You know, and that's obviously combined with, you know, no standards, but also the luxury and leisure of being an American. Of course, we don't have to really fight for that much in our lives. We have it so good. So I think those two combined make men extremely weak week today. This is just the truth, but most straight feminine women aren't attracted to weak beta men who are probably lighter than us. Like we want a strong, we want, we want a masculine man who would be physically able to protect us, emotionally able to direct and lead a family. And that's something that's really attractive to me. And maybe it's something that's attractive to you, but generally for most women, we don't want a weak little spaghetti guy. We want a, a big hunk. <laughs> I think there is some truth that a lot of women, I mean, biologically speaking, it's definitely true that typically women choose someone stronger than them. There's also an attack on emotional strength. I think with Brene, the movement of Brene Brown, we've looked at vulnerability as a strength. And I do agree with some of that, that there are moments of vulnerability as a strength, but we're missing an entire heart of this idea that it's not its not just vulnerability that's an emotional strength. It's the idea of being self-composed. It's the idea of having emotional restraint when appropriate. Um, it There's the maturity of knowing when to be soft and when not to be. And we have all these conversations about let's go to therapy and, and let's be soft without looking at, I think, the balance 
mm. of of that within ourselves, both within men and within women. And I don't think it's exactly the same formula for men and for women that right. that's the makes the ideal person. But there's a whole aspect of you know not all strength is is bad emotionally like there there's some virtue to being stoic and to having mental armor that that isn't considered a virtue and men as much as it used to be i don't think we've hit the right balance with that so it's a combination of men shut up you can't have emotions and men being over emotional and not having any control when it comes to outbursts and not being able to appropriately deal with a woman's emotion is that kind of what you're saying well, yeah like you want you want a, a father who's rightfully very touched and soft when they have a, a their you know first child is born right and they're very soft with this this baby and they have a you know a special emotional place for them and their wives but you want them to have a very different kind of emotional strength if someone comes to verbally attack said wife or physically mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there is a balance, and I think maturity is knowing which which situation calls for what kind of reaction. Yes. But there is, there's definitely a, a balance of having both of those those things and accessing which one at the same time. Let's say even God does this, right? Like He looks on mercy and weakness and justice uh, uses them, applies them at very different times for very different situations. If, if someone is weak, he tends to give them mercy. But if someone's you know making mistakes because they're in rebellion, not because they have a weakness, he has a different attitude mm-hmm. of often defending who, his people. And there, there's a different, there are different emotions that call for different strength at different times. But I don't think we're having that discussion because we're having discussions like, what is masculinity? What is feminine? What is a woman? A woman's any a woman's an idea, right? A woman could be anything. But we're never getting towards, you know, what makes a person moral. We're not having that discussion. Sadly, mm-hmm. that's not a main discussion in our society. You know, what makes us the best versions of ourselves? I don't know. Go to therapy. Well, you know what? Go to therapy is not a very good answer. <laughs> right. I, I think yeah, masculinity. The way I've frequently had it defined to me, and I think I agree with this is. Masculinity is a form of harnessed power that is directed towards protecting loved ones and building a society. And I thought that was good because the word harnessed emphasizes that you actually have or for men, that is actually have to have restraint and employ a little bit of diplomacy whenever they exhibit said emotion um, and they have to be tactical about it in a way. Um, And so would you agree with that sort of definition of masculinity i would agree that's part of it i I think there's there's more layers to what it means to be a masculine than just that but yeah i think that's an important part of it i don't think it's that's all the definition because i mean a woman could assume the same role in a necessary situation right but maybe she's taking on a masculine trait that doesn't mean she's (laughs) the epitome a man man. (laughs) right 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 so I think there's a little bit more like, I mean, obviously masculine traits are, are tied to what it means to be a man, but then we have trouble defining it because we live in this culture that's still, like I said, going, what is the woman? Mm. What is a man? Like things we didn't ask ourselves a century ago. And and then we have these whole discussions like, well, is it a gender stereotype? I mean, is it just gender? Is it sex? How are they different? And I think we're spending so much time on those questions that we're missing the questions about like, what is life about? 
What is the best wow. path for us to be on? And it's sad. Like I, if I think about the things that keep me up at night, not only for women, but for the direction of the country, it's more of those, the conversations that we're not having time to have because you and I are doing this work about, Hey, this is, this is what womanhood is. This is what feminism is. I agree. Well, any uh, last thoughts before we close out this episode? This is where I should say something really wise, but <laughs> <laughs> but no, I you and you and I, I think try to fight the good fight every day. I I just think that that something that strikes me again and again is that there is a huge opportunity. I feel that this is why I do the work that I do. There's a huge opportunity. Because the left has swung so far radical left that they're ignoring what women's issues are. They think Mm -hmm. that women's issues are getting up and talking about like, well, maybe I could be trans today. I once took the at feminist account and I categorized all of their posts into into all the different categories that they talked about. And it was almost two fifths about trans Another fifth-ish about like gender ideology, fluidity, another fifth about race. And then the other, the last fifth was like a split of climate change and whatever was happening in the news. And I just looked at those stats and went, women aren't, most women aren't getting up and like wondering about gender, what gender they are today or trans ideology or like, these are just not the issues on women's mind. And they have left a gaping hole into all the topics that women want to talk about that you and I you and I get up in the morning we make a list of like the five things in our mind or the 10 things or 100 things like what gender am I is not in the top 100 not even close (laughs) (laughs) and there's so much opportunity but it's also sad that they've kind of left the core of women and what it means to be a woman behind so I'm I'm still optimistic like my entire account we we talk about women's issues and they are these big issues that we've talked about family and pornography and sex trafficking energy and sexual revolution and what is a woman etc but we're also talking about like okay well hey you know if someone told you you were fired for being pregnant if you're in the U.S., it's it's not legal, by the way. <laughs> and here are some resources for you, and just a lot of other odds and ends. Like, hey, that that seatbelt is not great for pregnancy that you're wearing. It wasn't designed for that. Here's this other seatbelt to insert into your car because I care about that. You would care about that. Like, just all these things that they should be covering otherwise. So, so good to have you. You can find um, all your stuff at the feminist recovery or at feminist recovery on Instagram. Do you have a TikTok or are you still banned or what's that looking like? Uh, I'll be relaunching probably several small accounts all under very similar names. You could find the same thing. And the YouTube is the feminist recovery program. Beautiful. Thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.